0: Welcome to the Community of Hope Church Podcast. Our church exists to interest disinterested people in Jesus Christ and they grow together into fully devoted followers of Him. So wherever you are, we hope you find this message helpful, practical, and applicable to your life. God bless. All right, all right. Take out your notes and your journal or your Community of Hope app. We're going to begin Uh, a new series on all of our campuses today. I'm very, very excited about. And the new series is just simply entitled, Please, Sorry, Thanks. Say it out loud with me. Please, sorry, thanks. Say it again. Please, sorry, thanks. Some of you guys haven't said these words in years. So I just wanted to get us into the rhythm of doing this. And um, so let me just tell you how this started. You know, we are working uh, months ahead uh, on our teaching team, I take it as a real responsibility to lead that team, our younger pastors, and learning and growing, and we're working on a process of how we, you know, get the word out, and we do this uh, assignment of preaching every weekend, and we have a team working on that. We've been reading a book uh, entitled, Please, Sorry, Thanks, I want to show you the book written by a guy by the name of Mark Batterson. This is a pastor uh, in inside the Beltway in Washington, D.C., and I, this strangest thing, he, um, he's been there, planted a church like I have planted a church, and so I really admire his work. He's a godly man. And um, he, he began to notice, I don't, know, I don't know where he got this idea, he began to notice that inside Washington, D.C., there's just a lack of civility and kindness. I don't know how he pe- popped on that. It's a mystery. Come on, come on. And, uh, and so he wrote this book, and we were kind of fascinated by it. And um, at first, when, you know, I uh, one of the things that, that we'll do is, like, some of the pastors will bring stuff to me, and they'll go, hey, what do you think? And sometimes they bring it, and I go, no. And then they bring other stuff, and I go, maybe. And then when we, we got this, we thought, well, we started reading this, and when we thought, this might actually have, uh, have an opportunity for someone to commend Uh, this to you and and, you know here's what I want to say on the very front end okay and I promise I promise I'm going to deliver on this now you could you could look at this and go oh this is going to be really simplistic and I want to tell you I don't think it's simplistic I will tell you we didn't want to be simplistic if we didn't do please sorry thanks we were going to do a 12-week series on the eschatological foundations of amillennialism within the Wesleyan tradition of myth But we just knew that was way too simplistic to do that. So we said, no, we're not going to do that. Now, here's the thing. Um, I was fascinated by by this book. 35 years ago, uh, another gentleman wrote a book that became All the Rage. And the book, maybe you've seen it. I'll show you the picture. It was Everything I Ever Really Need to Know I Learned in Kindergarten. And it became a very, very popular read 35 years ago. And to give you some of the ideas inside this book share everything, play fair. Don't, here's one don't hit people. <laughs> Put things back where you found them, clean up your own mess. When I said that at nine o'clock, some mom right here went, Amen. I was like, all right, there's a problem there. Don't take things that aren't yours. Wash your hands before you eat. Flush. (laughs) Didn't know we needed to be reminded of that, but just in case. Warm cookies and cold milk are good for you. Right? And uh, so here's the thing I think we could all agree on, and i got to tell you as a pastor these days, I've given up, right, The idea that we would all have universal agreement. But I think most of us in the room or most of us online would agree to this idea. We are are in this weird space as a cultural moment where we have have lost civility with one another. And those who study culture, which is really important to me as a communicator, those who study culture, interestingly enough, say the biggest issue of our day is not global warming. Relax, relax. It's not global warming. It's what they call tribalism. And you know what tribalism is? It's this idea that more and more and more and more and more and more, we only hang out with the people that look like us, think like us, act like us, believe like us. And it's tearing at the fabric of our nation. Um, I remember reading a long time ago from an author whose name is Anne Lamott. Look what she says. She says, we can be sure we've created God in our own image when he hates all the same people that we do. <laughs> Yikes. Um, and, and as it turns out, um, this isn't a new idea. If you go back uh, two millennia, you, um, you can get connected with the writings of a man uh, who, when he began his journey toward Christ, his name was Saul of Tarsus. And uh, he, he made a sport of terrorizing Christians. And one day, as he was, uh, the story goes, as he was on the way to Damascus, to do that dirty work of terrorizing Christians, he encountered the risen Jesus Christ. And his life was so transformed by that personal and powerful encounter that in time, listen to this, he changed his name from Saul of Tarsus to Paul the Apostle. He wanted to disaffiliate from the earlier part of his life and wanted a life that would be identified by a whole different direction. And he became the author of many of the letters that are contained in Holy Scripture that we we now call the New Testament. And uh, one of the letters that he wrote, a letter to the church in Rome, uh, has been widely viewed still to this day, even by those who are outside of the church as maybe one of the greatest theological treatises of the Christian experience ever written. He lifts up such incredibly profound theological frameworks, but, but underneath that, and here's what I want you to hear, he, he brings all of that lofty ideal and all of that lofty thinking down into the hard and raw soil of human experience in a way that all of us can understand. Now, what's interesting about this, and we always here at Community of Hope want to create space because I know whenever I'm communicating or one of the other pastors is communicating, that we know whether it's online or whether it's in the room, there are those of us who are among us who are navigating what it means to be a follower of Jesus. They would not yet self-identify as a follower of Christ, but they would say, I'm open. I'm open to learning. I'm open to discovering. I'm open to see. And, and we want to say again to you, welcome. You're among friends. But here's what I would tell you. Um, generally speaking, those of us who are Christ followers believe that, um, that this book, the Word of God, uh, tells us exactly how we can connect with the true and living God who has revealed himself in Jesus Christ this is the this is how we find out who he is and all of the mystery and all of the wonder of this this is what God has given to humankind and here 's what 's interesting the Word of God actually makes Unique claims about itself, and I'm going to point to some of these in this series. Here's one. It happens in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. Look at what the word says about the word. For the word of God is alive and active. It's actually sharper than any two-edged sword or double-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. And look at this last line. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Here's the general idea about this verse. When you and I read the Bible, it reads us. And so um, because that's true... I thought that would be a good idea to point to because I I want to read to you some words that I think make Paul's letter to the church in Rome this enduring treatise of the Christian experience, if you will. And I believe, really, that when I read these words to you, many of us will go, that still rings true to our own collective human experience in this space. So, of course, I would ask you to stand. Well done. And uh, we're going to read, I'm going to read to you this morning from uh, Romans chapter 12, and I'm going to begin at verse 9. Now, here's what I would tell you. Buckle in, because there's some challenge here. Here's what Paul writes. Love must be sincere. It must be sincere. Um, Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor. Keep your love for God, he's saying, hot. Be patient in affliction. Do not, do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. And if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Oh, Paul. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written... It is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. Uh, If he or she is thirsty, give them something to drink. And in doing this, you will reap burning coals on their head. And do not uh, be overcome by evil but overcome evil with good. Word of God for the people of God. Yeah, you may be seated. Wow. Let's pray. Uh, Lord, we're going to bring to you uh, in this space, maybe uh, all of our experience of who you are. And uh, we place before you our lives and we place before you the world in which we are living our lives. And we confess to you, O God, that there are tensions. There are conflicts. We remember that Paul said in another place there are fears within and fightings without. And so God, by uh, your mercy... And by the careful instruction of your Holy Spirit, we invite you into this space, that you would help us in this moment, so that, oh God, um, we might come to mirror more of what Paul says to us. For we pray in Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. So, here's the thing. This is not just a lofty treatise of the Christian experience. This is not something I think we've just noticed that doesn't have real connection to the rough and tumble world of the, of the lives we live in. And, and by the way, Christian faith should always resemble that, right? Uh, what, we're, what we're believing, we're practicing, and so um, really what we're doing in this time is really powerful for us. And I, I wanted to lift up a couple of quick examples so we know this is just not a religious sort of exercise. Uh, I want to show you a picture of this guy. This is kind of a characterization of who, what we think he looked like. This is Martin Luther, the great reformer. And uh, Martin Luther's life was radically transformed by the words you and I just read. His life was just transformed by those words. Uh, Some centuries later, a little closer to our religious tradition, is this guy. His name was John Wesley. John Wesley was an Anglican priest who accepted a call to be a missionary in the United States, and he came over to Georgia, and he came over to Georgia, and um, he had a dismal religious experience in Georgia. It was awful, and uh, nothing really happened in his missionary work, and he returned to uh, London, he returned to England, Uh, feeling like a failure and on his way back to England um, the 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 ship he was on was being piloted and led by a group of Moravian Christians that was a religious Christian religious sect that listen to me connected faith and practice very strongly and on the way back to to England the ship encountered rough waters And John Wesley, who was an Anglican priest, thought he was going to die. And in the midst of fearing for his own life, he could overhear on the top deck the Moravian Christians, while they were going through this storm, singing praises to the God in heaven. And it moved him. And he thought to himself, I don't have faith like that. And then a week later after he got back to England, he went to a society meeting on Aldersgate Street where, listen to this, somebody was reading the preface, just the preface of Martin Luther's explanation of Paul's letter to the church in Rome. And he gave his life to Jesus Christ. And it led to the second great awakening. And so really what I want us to understand in this space is that um, that could happen again. It could happen collectively across our nation. It could happen individually in our own lives if we were to take very seriously to our faith the words that we just read. Interestingly, I was studying recently um, about the... um, the younger and upcoming generation uh, known as Gen Z. This is basically the grouping, uh, generally speaking, between t- ages 10 and ages 23. And one of, the greatest, um, one of the greatest values among the Gen Z population is this idea of authenticity. This idea that, uh, follow me, that your walk and your talk are the same thing. It should honestly be a a part of the fabric of every generation, but Gen Z feels this particularly strongly, and here's why. They've seen a lot of hypocrisy, and they're um, uniquely allergic to it in our culture. Now, here's the tension. Let me lift up the tension of this, and stay with me because I'm taking us somewhere. Here's the tension of this. When it comes to the Christian experience, here's what I would want you to know, right, about the Christian experience. There is a lot of um, aspirational ideas that are connected to our growing in Christ. Let me explain it. You ever come in here and we we sing one of our praise songs, and you're singing the song, but inside your heart you're going, this doesn't exactly connect with what I'm feeling right now, but I'm singing it anyway. Come on, come on. Um, and, and here's here 's what 's an important component of the christian faith sometimes what 's important is that we we are aspirational about this idea that Lord, this is not where I am, but it 's where I hope to be now Theologians call that the process of sanctification we 're on a journey to become who God has called us to be there there 's everything good about that now here 's the tension lies in this because our gen Z uh, precious people, they have a really strong point. The tension becomes in how much is the process of sanctification involved and when are we being dishonest? Make sense? Uh, I was reading recently by a, uh, from a guy by the name of Ed Theonis who is a professor at Biola University. He's a follower of Jesus. Notice what he says here. There's this idea that to live out of conformity, out of conformity with how I feel is hypocrisy. But that's the wrong definition of hypocrisy. To live out of conformity to what I believe is hypocrisy. And to live in conformity with what I believe in spite of how I feel isn't hypocrisy. It's integrity. Do you see the def- Do you see the difference? And so this is this is really, really, really an important thing that we're talking about um, in this space. Because um, here's what I would tell all of us in this room and everybody online your words matter. Your words matter. Some of us are here, and we're still yet trying to to get healing from a word spoken to us, over us, about us. Sometimes when I meet with some of y'all, there's such anxiety because you're just trying to get free of the chains of words that have been spoken. In fact, here's what I would tell you all Words are incredibly powerful f- tools that can be used to create worlds. In fact, we remember Genesis chapter 1 and verse 3. Note, notice, notice this Genesis chapter 1, 3, and God said, Let there be light. And there was light. Now, to be clear, we're not God. We don't play God on TV. Some of us maybe stayed at a Hampton Inn last night, but um, our words create worlds. Let me show you another world, uh, another example of that. If we go to Solomon's words in Proverbs 18.21, hey, he says, remember, The tongue has the power of life and death. Your tongue creates worlds. Right? We get to the the letter of James that we studied this past summer. Hey, look at this. Hey, the tongue is a fire. Hey, it's a world of evil among all of the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body. And sets the whole course of one's life on fire. Ever met someone like that? Right? There's just everywhere they go, lightens stuff up. And the tongue is itself set on fire by hell. Here's a, here's a question. If, if, if words create worlds, I, I think... The question really for us this morning is this, what words are at the apex of the good worlds we would like to create? And obviously you know the answer to that, right? Please, sorry, thanks. And to be clear, I thought I would help all of us this morning with some of the worlds, even right now in this room, we'd like to create. Here's one. Uh, How do we create kind of a flourishing component to the relationships that I have? Some of us are here right now. This is what we're trying to figure out. Uh, One of the things I love about my mom and dad, my mom and dad just were, they were just, man, they were just, they were in love all 58 years. They were just in love. They weren't perfect. They were just in love. They kept working it out. And I remember both of them had this sort of tenor with, with us three boys where they said this, and they came out of some relational brokenness in their past. And, and they, they locked onto this idea of creating a new tribe. And they said, um, we're going to do it better than behind us. And then they would say this to us, and we want you to do it better than us. I told, we have told both of our girls that. We want you to do it better than us. It'll be hard. (laughs) Just kidding. We want you to do it better than us. Um, Here's a world that some of us would like to create. Um, How is it that I can um, make amends for mistakes I've made? Some of you right now, you come every weekend, you're looking through a filter and you're going, how do I... How do I take the sting? How do I take the anger? How do I take the, 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 the energy off of all of that? And how do we get to a place where we can forgive each other and move on? Some of us are really in some battles there. Here, here's another one. Go ahead and show it. Uh, how do I overcome the trauma I've experienced? Some of us um, are here, and man, we've had, real, we've had some real stuff go on. For some of us, it's, it's stuff we willfully participated in. in. And for some of us, it was done to us, and we were a victim. Uh, Here's another one. Um, How do we shift from the negative or toxic atmosphere in our room, in our home? You ever walk into a place sometimes and you go, Ooh, this doesn't feel really good in here. You You ever do that? Um, and some of us are, are just, we're in this cyclical thing. It's just toxic and all of that. Is there any hope for that? Here's what I want you to know. There's hope. Here's another one real quickly. Um, how do I change my workplace culture? I was uh, a part this past week leveraging some of my leadership and experience in another venue not connected to our church. Uh, that this is going on right now. It's a it's a real issue. I'm trying to figure it out. We don't know how, what the end game looks like. It's hard. Well, maybe one more. Here's a world we'd like to create. How do we launch into the purpose and potential I believe God has for me? I think it was Dale Carnegie who said this. You know, 15% of, of success in life has to do with... Um, like some skill that we have, right? And I think we put that on there as a quote. You can help me out that with that. And 85% is due to what he called the skill in human engineering. What if we all decided to take our game up within the context of human engineering? And as it turns out, this is what I think is really interesting, is it turns out... Uh, author Mark Batterson tells us this. He said, first of all, he said, there's, there's a psychology to the word please, and we're going to explore this together. He said, actually, when you think about it, um, please is a, is a politeness prompter that changes an atmosphere in a relationship. Um, quick story. My girls, their first real jobs... We're at Chick-fil-A, uh, Jesus Chicken. <laughs> and um, Chick-fil-A as an as a organization, many of us would agree, it just feels different a little bit when you go in there. It's kind of a little different when you go in there. And uh, my younger daughter actually married an owner-operator, and they, they still are involved in Chick-fil-A. But I'll never forget when Shelly came home one day, and she said, Dad, I, I learned the secret of Chick-fil-A. And I said, What's the chi- secret? And she goes, They have a thing called the Core Four. And this is what we have to participate in. I said, what's the core for? She said, when you come in, everybody who's an employee of Chick-fil-A, they try to do four things. Smile, make eye contact, speak enthusiastically, and stay connected. Smile, eye contact, speak enthusiastically, and stay connected. And I said, that's awesome. And she said, yeah, it's so cool. She loves to be a part of a team. And she went on, uh, we we were talking about this, and I thought about, you know, she was 15, and she was working at this Chick-fil-A, and if they took, at the end of the evening, stuff out of the Chick-fil-A to take it to the trash, the trash was on the other side of this parking lot. And I didn't want my pretty little 15-year-old girl in that parking lot. And I told her one afternoon, I said, hey, Shelly, I've been thinking about this. You know what the core four is, right? She goes, yeah, eye contact, speak enthusiastically, stay connected, and whatever the other one was. And I said, yeah. (laughs) And I said, you know what? I believe in the Fab, it's called the Fabulous Five. Have you heard about that yet? And she goes, no. And I said, it's the core four in this additional one. Stay out of the stupid parking lot. But the idea around please... And the derivative of that is pleasure. Turns out there's a psychology to it. We have some stuff to learn. Turns out there's a science to the word "sorry." Just say it. I, I want to say it out with me. "Sorry. Say, "I'm sorry. I'm, I'm sorry. sorry. Say it again. I'm sorry. Just feels good, doesn't it? OK? Um, Many of us know or have heard of the five love languages. Um, Gifts, touch, words of affirmation, quality time, and such. Turns out, um, we all have a forgiveness language. Do you know what yours is? We're going to help you learn it. And then lastly, there's a theology to the word thanks. If you think about it, um, everything we've done in this last hour is front-loaded on gratitude. We have this God who's revealed himself in human flesh, walked a perfect life on earth, died a sinless death. And, and we believe as Christians that three days after that death, he rose physically from the grave. Miracle. And, and that's, that's in essence the, the Christian gospel. And that that God, that sacrificing, self-sacrificing, perfect God would want to hang out with dirty, rotten sinners like you and me. Requires Gratitude So a lot of times when we sing And our team is leading us I can tell you what P. Diddy's doing He's saying Lord I know you know me And that you would choose to love me anyway I know you know Beth No just <laughs> Stay here I'll just stay here Just stay here It's about gratitude. One writer I know says this gratitude is the grease that moves our relationship with Jesus forward. Let me close with this. When Christianity began, uh, it actually began around the resurrection, right? And and following the resurrection before Jesus appeared to anyone, uh, Christianity in essence began with a, a small group of people cloistered together in an upper room tucked away somewhere in fear for their lives against Rome. Now think with me historically about this. They would have never told you or me. They never thought back then that this tiny little enclave, this tiny little movement that literally believed Jesus rose from the dead would ever overtake Rome, would ever compete with Rome. They would have never thought that. And yet, and yet, by the third century, Rome was becoming an afterthought, and Christianity was becoming a force for good in the world. Gives me goosebumps right now. How do you define that? I can tell you how we can define it. And we can even define it outside of the circle of Christianity. Even people back then who did not self-identify as followers of Christ said there's something unique and powerful and transcendent about the way this ragtag group of people not only believe, but what they practice there's such humility, there's such forgiveness, there's there's such grace, there's such compassion, there's such empathy, there's such conviction that more more and more and more and more and more and more and more people were just drawn to it. Could not the same thing happen again? in your home in your relationships in our community in our nation in our world it can sometimes the simple the simplest things and the smallest things unlock the greatest Treasures. Please, I'm sorry. Thank you. Lord, help us. Uh, Help us, O God, to steer away from the callous nature of our world and embrace. Embrace the, the beliefs and the practices of our ancient brothers and sisters who by their courage, by their faith, and their practice change the world in Jesus' name. <laughs> hey, I'll send you out this way. Love must be sincere. Uh, hate what is evil and cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor and love one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people. Practice hospitality. Bless those who bless you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud but we be willing to associate with people of lower position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. God, would you help us this morning that that might be our vision of how we move forward in our individual lives and collectively as a church family, for we pray in Jesus' name. And everybody said, hey, I want to remind you, we got precious people here that would love to pray with you. If you are facing one of those worlds you want to create, pray. let us pray for you before you go. Go in his grace and his mercy. We'll see you next weekend.